This is what it's like to work at Gartner. Ready? Yeah. Eureka! RPA! And then somebody gets up and does like a 40-minute presentation. They're all nasally at Gartner? Absolutely. Boy, man, looks like we're going to be obsolete again. Again? Yeah, it turns out that the future is codeless automation, not writing programming. I've seen this movie before. There are so many things that are going to kill our business at any given moment. And what's amazing is people come and say hi, and they're like, hey, how's it going? How do you guys even survive without really being ML focused all the time? How do you, you know, robotic process automation is probably coming for Postlight, going to destroy it. The graphical user interface mm-hmm. was revolutionary. Yeah. For many years, computers had no metaphor of like real world objects that you grabbed and dragged and dropped in other you places. Man. You, put a, you put some words in the bucket and the computer said, here's two plus two. Right. It was very console driven. Right. There was a prompt and just a lot of stuff scrolling by on the screen. And it was how the computer's brain thought closer than how the human brain. thinks. Twelve computer scientists just burst into flames. Well, that's fine. As, you, as you're speaking. That's fine. So the, then the graphical user interface shows up and it opens up the world. Computers weren't just for the computer scientists and the engineers. It was now being made available to everyone. And when I say graphical interface, I mean, we're talking about the Xerox Park innovations and then Apple no, bringing it forward. And then like the book on C, there's like the C programming language. This is a fundamental programming language. And you read that book and you realize as you're reading it, it was written during the 70s. It's for automating refrigeration systems. Of course. Like it's not, it's not for fun times and cool games. Or writing a letter. I no. mean, it doesn't even have to be fun times. I just want to write a letter to my friend. And you know, the truth is it started early days... You started to see shades of it with things like WordPerfect, green screen, and WordStar, you know, the early spreadsheet stuff like Lotus and whatnot. Oh, and then they bundled them all together. That's a big thing. Let's bundle. I think when they put that layer on top, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember everything got masked away. Like you saw glimpses of it. Usually when you booted up the OS, there was like little bits of the console going, we still do. We have have Ubuntu servers in the elevators at this building. And I think we should take a minute and talk about them. First of all, 80% of the time it's in a state of crashing or boot up. I'm convinced that we lose half of our business when visitors come to meet us and see the elevator and just go right back down. So it's a combination of like day old CNN and then poorly syndicated character encoding screwed up RSS feeds from like the absolute ass end of the Forbes contributor network. Yeah, it's like small business advice. It literally is. It's like, have you considered your alligators? And it's below like Trump eats baby. Yeah. And then there's weather on the bottom left, but it's like also a day. It's really a crime. It's a piece of shit. It's so bad. I watched it boot up the other day and it was like the BIOS and the firmware and then it comes up and it's like Ubuntu from 2014. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a total Uh, So good. Anyway, so this is the world we live in. So no, wait, masking away complexity, Except right? Except the complexity always manages to assert itself. Well, no, for many, it doesn't. For many, no, many, true. it doesn't. If, like, you if, you like took, a, if you buy like a standard Windows 10 machine and you just want to use Word. A phone. Yeah, you're in a pretty good place. You know, Apple takes great pride in how airtight mm-hmm. their experience is. Like, you, there's no way you're going to take a glimpse into it. You ever jailbreak an iPhone? No, because I'm awesome. a normal person. 
Okay, it's it's pretty awesome because it, you get to see what's really going oh, like on. Like you can right? secure a shell into it and be. I mean, that's the thing. It's a Unix server. When I was younger, I used to enjoy, for all the wrong reasons, booting up into safe mode. Mm-hmm. Do you know what safe mode is in Windows? Yeah, I do. Go, but I tell the people. Okay, safe mode is you're having problems and you need to get Windows to not be too smart. Mm-hmm. And to load up in a more basic state. Well, no, because it loads up and it's like, oh, I have a thirty-six thousand pixel monitor and and a Logitech Super Mouse. Well, let me. And let there's me all these all... layers of apps are loading in the background yeah. and, and caking on. Safe mode's like, all right, nobody is allowed in. We're just going to give you the pure OS. But yeah. when it loads up, all this crap starts scrolling by. All the drivers are loading in. All this stuff is happening to give you get you back to the desktop. Usually, you're in a bad place when you go into safe mode. Something's gone wrong. Your hard drive's all confused. Something's gone bad. But it's worked. The truth is today, for 95% of the world, masking away all that ugly has worked, except for one corner that keeps getting attacked and keeps failing. We've always tried to attack the purview of programming oh, with yeah. WYSIWYG, and it's been happening yeah. for many, many years. There are, there's like 70 years of visual programming. Visual there. programming. You know, like, what if we just, all you need are the flowcharts. Visual basic is a milestone, actually. But let's be clear. Visual Basic, you still had to write code, but the cool thing about it was it really let you draw like the interface and sort of set up. It lets you draw the interface. It had great sensing around the objects that you were instantiating. So it was like super enhanced programming. The UI people got in the mix, and this yeah. is Alan Cooper. Alan yeah. Cooper's innovation at Microsoft to this day are still being used. The autocomplete, the ability to sort of really set things up for the, the developer. This also existed a lot in a, like a more difficult to access for him in Lisp machines and things like that, where the computer would know what you were programming and it would go out of its way to give you context and support. Yeah. And it was really more not, it's not trying to go too far though. It's not trying to be too smart. It understands you're the expert. We're just going to accelerate things for you. And to be clear, this experience is still like in a lot of IDEs and... and it is. Sort of, I think it's practically standard now. Yeah, not every... Well, I mean, I, this is true. Xcode is a really good example. It comes with every Mac. You can download it for free and it lets you write Apple programs, Mac yeah. programs. And the object model is baked into the GUI. So a lot of the things you're doing just sort of happen as you're doing them. Well, you actually move pieces around and draw lines between them. It's more visual, but, you know, logic still needs logic. Mm, deep and you down, still need to explain what needs to happen. You're going to write some code. You're going to write some code, but everybody always over keeps reaching, right? And you keep on reaching. And the dream is you're going to drag and drop and make apps. That oh, is the God, dream. That's the good thing, right? Because it's incredibly empowering. And non-programmers, there is a moment where there's hope when you try those things for the first hour. You're like, okay, I don't need that whole department on the eighth floor. Well, there are things that are, there are <laughs> things that you can learn. Here's a good example, Airtable. Airtable is a great example because it's a huge success. We had one of the co-founders on the show, Andrew Ofstadt. I mean, actually, you know what's worth? What is their tagline? Looks like a spreadsheet, acts like a database. All right, this is a big deal, right? Everybody has access to a spreadsheet in the modern world. And everybody overuses spreadsheets because the way you overuse a spreadsheet is you have data that isn't purely a flat table and you go, you know, this one has five values or I want to link the people to their addresses, but I also want to map the addresses or things like that. You just get into puzzles. And Google, for God bless them, they decided we're going to just try to help you along the way there. But it doesn't really line up because the columns don't all link. The spreadsheet? Yeah. It's still following the accounting ledger paradigm. That's right. The metaphor. that Google Docs, that shareable Google Doc makes it so easy to collect the URL. So people got really into spreadsheets. But then, you know, what does the database get you? It gets you 
really organized data that can sort of all be linked together. Correct. Correct. And so Airtable went and was like, let's go one further here. And like, you can put a picture in a cell and different cells linked together and you can sort of Give a real world example. We did for a while. We used it as a contact manager for relationships for sales. As a CRM. Sort of as like a baby sales force. Yeah. Yeah. We put all of our leads in there and put all our contacts in there and we we connected them relationally. We use it a lot for mailing lists, things that you you have as a business. Like, you know, when when it's time to send everybody the Christmas card. And you could do it as... Data versus calculations. That's right. That's right. And then there's all these widgets on top of it. And so you could... You won't use Beartable to manage your finances. No. It's important to make this distinction. Yeah. I mean, right? you could theoretically, but it, it would it's be, not the thing that's not use. what it's for. It's a like mini app development environment that is on top of a database that you own and control as an Airtable paid subscriber. Correct. There's also Smartsheets, which I don't know as well. And there's like this whole world of these, of a data-backed model with interface layers on top that theoretically let anybody do stuff. And I'll tell you what, my wife works in construction and she popped up an Airtable the other day and I went, holy hell. Like deeply complex. She's using it to sort of hack together software and project management challenges. Mm-hmm. And you know, the killer thing too is you can import a spreadsheet. So it's it's that upgrade path from I'm Got stuff in a tabular form. Too. This is a huge deal. I it's mean, this deal. is this is Airtable attacking software that would otherwise cost thousands of dollars. Frankly, the way that a lot of places work, hundreds of thousands, or it would be some weird zillion-dollar plug-in in SAP or or whatever. And it also is a it's a place to hack together. Like I don't like the way this thing works, or mm-hmm. it doesn't let me keep track of my friend's hair color, but that's really important to me. Mm-hmm. Let's you do that. So. That is a huge niche. That is huge. And it's a real business, obviously. And and you are eating away at what would otherwise be software. But every like few years or so, this comes up again and it always runs into a wall. And this is not me saying like there's a problem with Airtable. Airtable's fine. But it always seems to run into a wall. And I don't think anyone has ever truly articulated what that wall is. It seems to be there's a level of complexity whereby you just need a lot of the things that programming gives you. Yes. Like access to visualization or Specific logic. Yeah. Cases that require particular logic to make them truly useful for you. You know what it is, is people think that programming is like this one monolithic thing. It's not a language. A good programmer knows an ecosystem. They're like, oh, that's the numerical analysis library. That's the graphing and charting library. Pull stuff off the shelf. Yeah, there's or everything. Here's out there. the rules engine. Yeah. Right? So Airtable doesn't have a rules engine built in. It doesn't yet. Right. And so like it would have to catch up with 70 years of convention. And it could keep going, by the way. And I've seen different platforms do this. They have like this advanced customization mode where you can actually write scripts right, but now and we're, drop now we're them and parachute them. Yeah, you're eventually going to back into what the business demands and what the business needs or whatever the user base needs, right? And, this and is, that's real. And that's always been the case. Well, this is a, it's a tricky thing because you go back as far as you want and you'll see ads in magazines or online, which are like, program in plain English, or do this or that, or, you know, all you got to do is move these boxes around. Yep. But when you do that, you cut yourself off from that vast world of abstractions. And the tricky thing is that 
really only professionals pay much attention to that vast world of abstraction. Well, what happened to us with using Airtable as a CRM? And we're not a huge growing business. We are a growing business, but we didn't explode and all of a sudden found well, Airtable. And also, let's be clear. What happened? We used it for about, what, eight months? But this is scope, too. We kept running into challenges where it was just hard to keep track of things, and it didn't have the alerting we needed. We needed more of a workflow. And that's where, so we went over to a, a CRM called Pipedrive, which, let's be clear, we don't love but it does let us. It's move, okay. I it mean, lets us, it lets us move the cards along, and you know, it has one killer feature, and this is a true software feature. The way a CRM works is you essentially have leads, and you're trying to turn them into sales. Most leads will never turn into sales, but when you have a lead, PipeDrive pushes you to add an action to it, right? So, like, call Sally. Yeah. You want to get things from one column to another in mm -hmm. the workflow. And the way you do that is you perform actions. Mm -hmm. You get in touch with the client. You send yeah. them a proposal. And this is where it starts to buckle, right? I mean, right. A, a well, what tool. happens, it has a, is a power move, which is the minute you complete one action, it pops up and says, what's your next action? So that you're never able to fully escape that you're moving these things along the line. So... We could have created that with a custom API in Airtable. Yeah, then you're now you're cobbling shit together, right? Just go buy a different product. Yeah. Or we've built a CMS in Airtable that is API powered mm -hmm. that works just fine. We've outgrown Airtable a couple of times, right? And what we're seeing is there well, are specific needs. We have the because we're a software firm. We can go like, mm, ah, I'm done. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. We need to do this custom over here. And the thing is, look, there are industries. I don't know how big the CRM industry sector is. Unbelievably huge. Yeah. And there's the CMS Much sector. not as huge. So where you have many years of focused requirements, gathering, and creation of software for very specific needs. But the same is actually true of general purpose software, right? Like yeah. I, it's the various algorithms and rules that you need to get stuff done. Yes. It's so tempting when you see that stuff to go, well, that's it. That's all anyone's ever going to need. And it always outgrows it. Yeah. Always, always, always. If your company's growing, if you are like a church, a not-for-profit, a five-person company with a specific product, my God, those tools are great. Yeah. I guess what we're saying is these tools are great and there is this kind of dream that they're going to replace programming and it's over and we're just going to need a mouse. It always... You're going to fill out the table. Everyone will learn just enough data and then the computer will do the rest. But no firm can keep up with culture. And I mean, Apple and Microsoft try. So does Google. I'm going to throw an acronym at you. Oh God, I love acronyms. RPA. Robotic Process Automation. Oh God. It's an emerging form of business process automation it's technology. Moan the whole time you're doing this. Now look, this sounds impressive, okay? And there is a company out there called UiPath. It's essentially screen recording. <laughs> oh, here we go. UiPath skyrockets to number three on the Forbes 2019 Cloud 100. God, don't you just every now and then just I, I'm ready for my South Pacific island. We sound so cynical. I don't know if I would. We're a software internet. company for Christ's sake. I yeah, it's okay to be cynical about marketing, but love software. Here's why: because it's just like skyrockets to number three on Forbes 2019 Cloud 100. What does that mean for me as the consumer? And then there's a picture of a guy with a beard. That's none of your business. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm a I am a UI path customer. I like intelligent agents. Tell everyone what Selenium is. Oh, Selenium is a web browser automation and testing framework. Came out of the world of Firefox, and basically it records your motions around the browser. And there are other ways to do By this. motions, you mean the mouse pointer. Literally mouse pointer stuff. The, and you can also script a little uh, bit. The with, focus on different elements, mm -hmm. et cetera. So you can script, like, I'm going to open this, log in, hit submit, 
check my bank account, Mm -hmm. log out. And so if you are working at the bank and you need to automate that so that you can send a screenshot and and sort of let everybody know how the tests are going whenever they release new code, Mm -hmm. Selenium is a lifesaver. So calling these things robots... (laughs) It's a stretch. Is it a stretch? Yeah. Because robots usually have like... Like a neurosurgeon uses a robot that is controlled by... You know, like you build a Toyota with a robot. Yeah. I don't know if moving a mouse around on the screen (laughs) from like 1-100 to 2-100... It usually is associated with some kind of hardware. Filling out a form. It's a stretch. Yeah. And this... I mean, look, let's be clear. I continue to be humbled by how people are able to recycle concepts and market them as if they're brand new. It's really impressive to me. And multi-billion dollar industries arise out of it. This is the great Tim O'Reilly quote from way back in the day. And maybe it wasn't him, but somebody said this, which was, go find a Unix utility from like the 70s Mm -hmm. and put a web layer around it. And you will you will succeed. You'll have so innovation. Like Twitter is finger, and Gmail is old email, and, and just sort of on and on. Like right. the basic patterns of what you do with computers socially were set a long time ago, and yeah. we're just reinventing them as the hardware and the community and making update. them easier, though making them more accessible. Like you know, dro- FTP to Dropbox is a hell of a leap. Let's be honest. Progress and innovation are totally real. Discovery, which is everybody's fantasy that they've discovered something wonderful, yeah, is unbelievable. Unbelievably rare. That's true. I agree with that. Everybody wants credit for discovery. Really, frankly, the best you can hope for in this world is innovation. Mm -hmm. The great, great grandfather of these automation tools is, I mean, the batch script. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, let me, I've got a whole bundle of things I want to tell the computer to do one after the other. Yeah. And it's just going to do them. And I could run that same collection of commands again and again and well, again. And this is, you know what's funny here is you're actually talking about the way that, so Unix, which is the operating system that runs on your iPhone and your Android phone, is deep down. So that comes, that's 50 years old right now. And the way that it was, it was conceived of is you had this language, lower level language called C, which we've talked about. Seems like a little hard to program. Takes a minute. You got to think about the memory and there's all sorts of stuff you got to do. People still use it every day today. Zillions of people. A lot of what you use is written in C. Then bash scripts are a simple way to orchestrate and run C programs. And they, the C programs have output and input in the bash scripts that you, let you coordinate. And you can them. have light logic in them. You it, can say... Tons. If, you, yeah. That's a programming language too. It's yeah. just not... It doesn't take into account like the memory of the computer. You don't have to think about no. the hardware as much. It's just running. I ran this. I got some output. I got some input. I put it into it. You know, you pipe things together and so on. It's another level of abstraction Yes, that's similar to all the other things we're talking about. Y- you know what's funny is you would think there would be this chart over the last 20 years where as things became quote-unquote codeless, that the marketplace of designers and engineers would go down and the job market. Now it goes up. Because, we because create, humans we, are... We create new problems. We create new problems and we love jumping on top of that bit of automation and then going for more. Yeah. We still want more culture, more information, more search, more whatever. Yeah. We, so you'd think UI path and its mission would bring an end to thousands of jobs. This is the great paradox, which is that a lot of times technologists and companies see the world as a problem to be solved, and the world doesn't see itself that way. No. It's like, thank you, you made me another tool that I will now use to gain resources and power in my community and environment. And I will need new tools to harness those new resources and new powers. Or the monkey across the lake sees that other person get the tool, and they go... I'm going to need to go a little further here. Exactly. Look at them. They've got Airtable over there. I think that's exactly right. I need to get over here. I'm going to learn Python so that I can kick their ass. Wonderful, though. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that human advancement? 
whether it's good or bad to me doesn't matter very much. It is how people are. Yeah, and I think it's just acknowledging that there's no silver bullet here. Like there, there is, will never, there'll never be, be a, a silver, silver bullet. bullet. Yeah, you know, it's a funny thing because I think we profit fundamentally. Our business profits off of the fact that there's no silver bullet. Yeah, yeah. And, people and, come to us and they're like, "Why don't I just use X, Y, and Z?" And we're like, "Go to have fun. And yeah, we'll, we'll see you in a year and a half." Or we'll tell them, "Here's why, and here's yeah. what's going to happen to you." And by the way, we often take tools that are off the shelf and leverage them. We do it all, all the, the time. time. I tell um, half the people who come in for a sales pitch, I'm like, well, there's a $0 solution for you. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like, yeah. it doesn't involve us. And then there's like a $50 solution and then it gets really painful. You can get this far with off the shelf. Mm-hmm. But here's the, you know what else is tricky is you can usually build just about anything with off the shelf stuff, like an okay mobile app that works pretty well until your customer has one request. Of course. I need to make the troll hair, you know, have a purple face. I had a meeting yesterday. As far as we know, everything had gone perfectly well. And the person who came in, they are hearing the chatter from different stakeholders. And they're like, I just need five more things. And she's anxious because she wants her stakeholders to be happy. But it it doesn't stop. No one believes that you can continue to develop after launch. No one. They don't believe that you could ever get anything done and then update it because usually at that point, budget goes away and there's no future. This is probably the single best piece of advice we can give people. I mean, this has been sort of an anthropological podcast mm-hmm. to, to, to this point, but the best piece of advice we can give people is do not think that you are going to make one investment on your piece of software and then launch it into the sky. That is a fantasy. It is always going to be a fantasy. We had a client, I'm not going to name them. We delivered for them in 2016. They thought we were going to be done, maybe hang around a couple months, sort of button things up and whatnot. We are still doing work for them as we record this podcast. No, it's real. And you wait for the other shoot. And that's not, that's not, nobody screwed up. It's not us kind of holding the dam together. Everything's great. No, it's It's just life. That's called working software and people putting in requests and asking for stuff. And it's a living, breathing thing. They actually, they have a team and the team is working on it. And they realize that the velocity of requests from their users who are in the thousands of like regular daily users is so great that they need to keep us around. And that's actually success. That is success. And it's been success. And like people understand that there's no such thing as a launch. There's no such thing as a solution because you're dealing with human beings in an ongoing dynamic culture. Absolutely. Requests that come in after something ships is a great sign. That means people want it. They want to invest in it, not invest financially, but they want to invest their time and they want to commit to it. I have a maxim. Nobody believes me when I say it. Every bug's a gift. Like when they complain, that's a gift because you literally are learning what they want. You have to, you have to stop seeing the software as a reflection of yourself or of your business or whatever. Yeah. And they might not love the heroic narrative that you put forth where you shipped it and good for you. Let's replace bug. Let's, let's make that. A goal of post lights. Let's call them opportunities. No, no, that's too much. <laughs> wrinkles. Wrinkles. Ironing um, out the wrinkles. Now you and I. What's are like older, a charming? What's like a you know? He's you know it's charming and eccentric. What's that word? That Quirk. trait. Quirks. That's right. It's not a bug. It's a quirk. We only call them quirks from now on. And we're going to stamp it down with a boot of good coding practice. No boots. <laughs> this is the problem. Is that you have to kill we're the gonna, quirks. You do have to go. You have to enhance the quirks, adjust the quirks. Adjust the quirks. We're going to adjust the quirks. We're not the most woke software terminology. We're not going to fix bugs anymore. We're going to adjust quirks. And we're not, you know, Jira is going to just become a quirk adjustment tool. (laughs) 
That is our plan, my friends. <laughs> uh, you know, this is cheery. What, what's the takeaway from this podcast is you're going to need us for the rest of your lives, whether you like it or not. <laughs> it is wild. We are the, post-light. <laughs> it's wild how many of the things we discuss, the end conclusion is that you need to engage an expensive software consulting firm <laughs> yes. for the rest of your life. Yes. It's, it's just weird how it comes out that way. It's really, It really is. And you know, for a shop like ours that really is your digital transformation partner, Hell yeah. located at 101 Fifth Avenue in we're going to City. adjust so many of your quirks. Yes. Just get in here and let and us... give you new ones. We'll give you new quirks to get yes. it. And then we'll adjust those too. Reach out to us. Yeah, when you hit the limit of that Airtable solution for your team of 50, yeah, you got a good shop right here that's glad to talk. Hello at postlight.com. Rich. Is this another hello postlight segment? It really is. Hello, postlight. Who do we have today, Paul? Jorge Mir. Did I get the last name right? In Spain, we actually have two last names, so it's Mir Alvarez, but the U.S. has a little trouble with the two last names. Boy, thing, do so, we. So. We're a simple culture. <laughs> Jorge Mir Alvarez. Yep. Thank you for coming on. What is? What do you do at Postlight? I'm a product manager at Postlight, and that essentially means being the glue that holds a lot of things together and serving as a bit of like a translator between a lot of different entities, between design and technology and the business clients. So a lot of different hats are worn. How did you end up at Postlight? Yeah, so I've been following Postlight from abroad. I'm from Spain originally, like I mentioned. I've been following the podcast and the blog, knew of Paul from just friends and, and the internet. And I was actually in town last year for some personal stuff, and I came to a meetup. And based on that, got talking to you guys, mentioned that you were maybe looking for product managers, and mm -hmm. it all kind of happened very, very quickly. So it was very unexpected. I kind of made the conscious decision not to move to New York earlier that year, and then I made the conscious decision that mm -hmm. maybe I was going to move to New York, and here I am. So you, he very happy a, to be here. We had connected at, I forget which one of our events. The uh, AI one, I think it was. Okay. Yeah, one October, September last year, yep. something like that. And we were chatting and one of our clients is a big insurance software company. Mm -hmm. And Jorge said, uh, I live in Spain and I, I work on insurance software. And the first thought in my mind is people insure things in Spain. <laughs> and we chatted a bit. I, it was, it's funny. I thought that was it, to be honest, because yeah, it so was a lot sure, of time passed. You're like, hey, I'm a podcast fan. It's good to meet you. Guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the brief conversation, I could tell Jorge was smart and level headed. And I was like, you know what? Let me just connect you to people and see where that goes. And then you don't know where things go. Remember sometimes. That. You were like, yeah, that, that guy seems like the real deal. Yeah. yeah. And here you are. How is the United States treating you? I mean, it, it's been a lot of a transition. I was lucky in that I grew up in the States, essentially from six to 18. I lived here for like 10 or 11 years. So it wasn't as much of an adjustment as mm -hmm. kind of coming here firsthand. Yep. But definitely after being back in Spain for about 10 years, it's a very different lifestyle took a while to get settled, <laughs> apartment hunting. I mean, and, sort of famously so. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, New York is probably like the most extreme yeah. of the I mean, examples. You, you're literally coming from a place where it's like, we like naps and, and meat <laughs> and <laughs> to a place of anger. Well, I want to share a story. Like, I think it was day two or three. And I was like, hey, how's the transition going? And Jorge was like in the kitchen here at Postlight in the corner, kind of his face was white. I was like, what's going on, man? How's it going? How's New York treating you? And he said, I just paid $30 for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and he was devastated. It's a lie. You go to the bodega and you're like, I'm going to get a fresca. And then, yeah, and it's a shitty little bodega. Yeah, yeah, and no. then, you know, the BLT is $11, oh, right? God. So, But it's been good. It's been good. Good. 
tell me your path to become, it's like, okay, I guess I'm a product manager. I went to school for telecommunications engineering, which is a master's we have, or a degree we have in Spain, which is a bit of like computer science and electrical engineering. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people end up in, in software development there. So I was interning at a startup over the summer, two or three months, and I realized that that was not what I wanted to do, mm -hmm. <laughs> like full time. But luckily, you know, small teams, you're exposed to a lot of different things. And mm -hmm. the CTO there, he was very interested in kind of my, my development and realized that maybe software development was not for me, but I showed a lot of interest in like the marketing side of things and how the kind of the business decisions were made. That startup, unfortunately, didn't do so well. But when he transitioned to the next job, he's like, I'm going to bring you on as kind of a product owner. And I know that you're not ready and I'm very much throwing you into the deep end. But I was very fortunate to work with a very experienced designer and a very experienced tech lead. And between the three of us, we kind of made that's, one that's product great. manager. So I've only worked in product. I've been very fortunate to do that. But it's been you know a journey and, and learning something new every day is very, very, very fulfilling. Sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it really you is. get to be exposed. I mean, I was around during the dot-com era and it's just nobody knew what the hell was going on. I mean, so was, I was director yeah. of product management and I was 27 and out of law school. And I was like, okay, cool. Nobody's at the wheel. And yeah. the learning experience, it's such an intense mm -hmm. crash course. There's nothing better than being told, all right, you, you're not going to know what you're doing, but good luck. Yeah. And like, we'll, we'll try to get your back. It's the best education. The be it's so fast. You're allowed to fail a little bit and you know you're not going to get it right, so you don't feel this horrible burden, but then the ability to unlock stuff just comes yeah, to you. it's awesome. Faster. Do you feel you're getting that here with our clients? Yeah, I mean, Some it's surprises. It's always, it, it really depends on a client-by-client client basis. Obviously, I, I've only worked in-house before and in kind of the client services nature of work of longer timelines and big kind of overhauls and redesigns mm -hmm. is a different type of experience, but it's a lot of just looking at a macro level and a micro level and still providing a lot of opportunities to like I said before, wear different hats and then just try to build that really best version of it for that client. I have a big funny, I have sure. a weird question. Sure. You listened and, and you basically were marketed to by Postlight yeah. for like a year and a half. Now you're here. Yep. What's the percentage delta between your expectations and what's actually here? That's a hard question to answer. There's definitely a lot of overlap. I think you get a really good sense of like the culture of the company between the two things. The nature of the work sometimes changes, right? A mm -hmm. lot of post-light marketing is about those early stage conversations with the right. clients, which is something that we're not always exposed to day to day. And it's more about taking things, not through the finish line because we're in charge of the whole project, but a lot of things have been defined. I think that's the biggest delta really between the two things. What's the advice you'd give someone who is wondering, hmm, I've got a couple of friends, they're doing real well. Product management's a hot profession right now. What's the advice you would give? Actually, let me make it a two-part question. Sure. For the designer sure. out there who's decided that they like design and they don't like they like picking up the pencil, but they want to do they want to have more ownership over the overall effort. Mm -hmm. What's the advice you'd give someone? That is a very loaded question. It's very difficult. But I think there's a lot of opportunities. I mean, product management is still kind of nebulous and it's still, it depends a lot on different situations. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is just more about trying to connect the business needs and the overall customer value yeah. with the end product. So I think even as a designer, there's a lot of just going deeper and trying to understand the business problems a little bit deeper. And and most good designers, unfortunately here, we have a great team that does that, yeah. tries to do that, but yeah. try to then analyze kind of like the business impact. And I think it's more about, you know, weighing in, why are we doing this now at the right time versus, hey, mm -hmm. this is a fun challenge that I want right. to tackle, which 
Again, not saying that designers do that all the time, but it's a little bit of weighing in different factors. Yeah, I think what's interesting is, you know, design, unfortunately, and it's kind of changing, but is often task driven. It's like, okay, it's time to get to work on the designs. Whereas in product, you are really setting the agenda. You're actually saying, whoa, 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 that might be a bad call because you're in the business side of it, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're driving that. So to close it out, the engineer, Actually, and let me use this a little bit to answer the previous question about designers. Yeah, so the way, one way to think about product management is a lot of product managers are responsible for kind of prioritizing the problems to be solved. And a lot mm-hmm. of designers are responsible for finding the best solutions to those problems. And mm-hmm. then engineers kind of execute that. Mm-hmm. So I think for mm-hmm. both engineers and designers that are maybe looking to make a shift into product management, mm-hmm. I would encourage them to try to take that step into, you know, discovering those problems and mm-hmm. helping prioritize them, right? Because mm-hmm. that's a little bit how it's set up without being a hard transition is product yep. managers are kind of in those early stages. Okay, let's try to figure out what the problems are. Let's talk with the client, see what the business needs and try to prioritize them according to like the impact that they're going to generate. Yep. And then we're ultimately not responsible for a lot of the solutions. Right. So it's moving a less from the solution-based approach and more into like that discovery and problem-finding approach, I think. I think that's a great piece of advice. Can't do better. All right, I know you've that's got free, a- free, I know people. you've got a call with one of our clients, so we gotta let you go. Jorge, Perfect. thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for this having me. This was very me. cool. Yeah, Thanks. glad to be here. Okay, have a great week, everybody. Bye.